of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. Add thou not unto his words, lest he reprove thee and thou be found a liar. Two things have I required of thee. Deny me them not before I die. Remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me. Thus far the reading of God's holy word from Proverbs 30 verses 1 through 8. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that your words are pure words. Though we are but as brutes and lack the understanding of a man, yet, O God, you give us the truth of your holy word revealed from heaven on high so that we may know the duty that you require of us and your most gracious promises. Teach us through this word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Daily bread. Verse 1 here, these are the words of Augur, the son of Jacke, a man eminent for wisdom, some believe in the days of Solomon. He says that these are a prophecy. A burden is literally what this means. God put this burden upon him and required that he deliver it. To whom did he deliver it? It says to Ithael and Ukol. These are the disciples or perhaps the friends of Augur, the son of Jacquet. Notice the humility of Augur. Surely I am more brutish than any man, verse 2. Now, brutish means you cannot think. You do not have the skill in thinking. And he says of himself, I lack in extreme measure. Look at all the brutish men that you know. I'm at the bottom of the list. I do not have the understanding of a man. Now, by the way, you will notice in the Bible that there are often what we call parallels. What does it mean to be brutish? It means you don't have the understanding of a man. That's what he's saying. To not have the rational capacity, the wisdom, the knowledge of holy things is to be as a brute. Verse 3, I neither learned wisdom. Remember Saul? Was he among the prophets? Where did he get that wisdom? Well, he never learned it. He never went to a school. Who was their father? He didn't learn the wisdom. God gave it to him. It's obviously God's work in Agur, the son of Jacob, because he was a brute and he never went to school. He never went to the school of the prophets. No formal training, no PhD, no prophetic master, nor have I the knowledge of the holy. What is wisdom? It is the knowledge of holy things. Here's the parallelism again. To be wise is to know of God's holy things. He said, I didn't have either. I don't have the knowledge now. I never learned it in the past. And if you ranked me with all the wise men, I'd be at the bottom of the list. And here's how he shows how he got his revelation. Verse 4. Who hath ascended up into heaven or descended? Okay, which one of you, me included, he asks, went up into heaven to God's heavenly kingdom, snatched the wisdom that was there and descended and brought it down to us? Who did that? Nobody. That's the answer. No one. 
Who hath gathered the winds in his fist? Who hath bound the water in a garment? Do you know who did that? Only God. God holds the winds and the waves in his very hand. Who hath established all the ends of the earth? Who created the ends of the earth? None but God himself. And therefore, since he is the source of wisdom and not man who ascended and descended, since he providentially rules over the winds and the waves, since he created all things, who gave this man his wisdom? Where did he get it from? He didn't get it from himself. He didn't go to school to learn it. What is his name? And what is his son's name, if thou canst tell? Secrets revealed by God himself. What is the name of God? Jehovah. What is the son's name? Jesus. These are mysteries. These are secrets. Only unveiled by God's power only known by faith. And so, verse 5, notice the connection. I'm not wise. Nobody else went up to heaven and got the wisdom. There's only one creator and ruler over all things. Therefore, every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. I note, when men doubt the purity of God's word, what are they doubting? Well, they're asserting something that, well, we ascended up into heaven and descended. You know, we were there with our wisdom. We're not brutish. We have the understanding of a man. We have learned wisdom and have knowledge of the holy. We gather the wind in our fists. We've bound the waters in a garment. We established the ends of the earth. Did they? No. So it is atheism, it is idolatry, and it is wickedness to say God's word is not pure. It's not the only truth. There's something else out there that we need to look to, and that is pure wisdom. This word of God, no, it's not pure. That's the exact opposite of what Augur says. His prophecy is to get the people of God to leave off a confidence in their own wisdom and to put their confidence where? In God himself. And how do you know if you have confidence in God? Do you trust his word? His word is pure. Every single word he spoke is pure. God is the font of wisdom. He's the creator of the ends of the earth. He's the providential ruler over all things, even those most unruly winds and waves. He reveals secrets about himself and his son. His word is pure. And if you come under his protection, you can mark it down. No arrow will hit you. No sword will strike you. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him, just like our father Abraham, wasn't it? I will be your shield, he said, an exceeding great reward. Why? Because he trusted in him. He had God's protection. And when the word of God said, I promise you this, his faith said, Amen. And when God said, I want you to do this, he said, Yes, my Lord. He put his trust in God. He trusted in the purity of God's Every word, all scripture 
is given by inspiration of God. It is God-breathed. Every word of God is pure. And then notice the rebuke in verse 6. Add thou not unto his words. Literally, in the Septuagint, do not even begin to add to his words. Don't even think about it. Don't even start down that path. Don't do it. <coughs> Why? Lest he reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. This word reprove means to bring forth to public judgment, to correct you to your face. Your impiety and your lies will be judged in the end by God himself if you add unto his words. God's word is pure. God's wisdom is sufficient. God is the excellent source of truth contained in his every word. And so if you add to it, what are you saying? Not good enough, God. Needs a few extras, Lord. Not sufficiently pure, God. Here, let me add some things. You know this is what the Pharisees did, right? The doctrines and commandments of men added on top of the scriptures of God. Did God accept that? Did he say, yeah, that's fine, that's okay. I mean, you know, you got your ideas, I got mine. You created this part of the universe, I created that. You uphold some of the winds and the waves and I uphold these. No, he said no such thing. He reproved them. He judged them. He sent his son and said, you are liars. They were found to be such. Now, in light of the sufficiency of God's word, the purity of God's word, the protection of God to those who put their trust in him, the inscrutability of God's heavenly judgments, his rule over all things, what is the practical import of this? What is the application, verse 7? Two things have I required of thee, Deny me them not before I die. Okay, here we go. This is the heart and soul of his burden, of his prophecy, of the wisdom that came from above and was given to the Agur, the son of Jaqeh. Make this request happen, O God. Do not turn me away during my lifetime. Here's what he wants us to pray for. Remove far from me vanity and lies. What is vanity? Those empty hopes and dreams. Those things that seem to have substance and have none. Perhaps you've walked on a, a, a deck that had rotting wood on it and you stepped on something you thought would uphold you and it broke through. Your foot went right through. Or maybe you were in some place where they had sand that sunk down or mud and you thought you could stand on firm ground and you couldn't. It's vanity. The purpose of the thing is not fulfilled. Remove far from me vanity and lies. Now, by the way, vanity is another word in the Bible for graven images. Why? Because men think of them as objects to be adored to be reverenced or served, to bow before them, to bow the knee, to pray to them. Is there any substance there in that thing they're praying to? No. Athanasius 
said to the heathens of his day and to the semi-heathens of later ages, if you want to honor someone, honor the guy that made the painting, not the painting. Why? Well, who's wiser, the painting that was created or the painter who painted it? It's obvious, isn't it? Who has more skill, the painter or the painting? So who deserves more honor, the painter? Yes, the painter, the sculptor, the one who made the thing. It's the work of his hands. That's what a vanity is. They think it's a god. They think it's a medium of worship. They think it's a saint. They think it's Christ. They think it's the virgin, but what is it? It's man-made. It's manufactured. Man made it. Nothing manufactured is to be adored, and nothing that should be adored may be manufactured. That's the rule of Scripture. Don't bow before things people make, and don't make things you ought to bow before. Don't do it. Remove these vanities from me, these empty hopes and dreams of the creature, these sweet little lies that tickle the fancy but take away the foundation. False worship, vain idols, and what else lies? False doctrine, lying words. Take them away from me. Then what? Give me neither poverty nor riches. No excess, no defect. Daily bread. Set it upon my table. Not by thievery, not by lies, not by vanity, but by solid, substantial toil, well executed for God's glory. That's what he's praying. Every day, my daily bread. I don't want to be rich, I don't want to be poor. Feed me with food convenient for me, he asks. Now who's he asking this of? Well, it's God, isn't it? Feed me, Lord. I've come under your protection. You're a shield unto me. Your word is pure. I hope in your promises. I obey your precepts. Please, Lord, feed me with that convenient food. And if God does not feed us, we shall not be fed. A man can take in food into his mouth and it can go out and do him <laughs> absolutely no good. A man can earn money and put it into a bag and it can fall out the bottom of the bag. If God doesn't feed us, we shall not be fed. He must bless us, or the goods of this life will be turned to evil. Now, this word, feed me, and this idea of food convenient is used in Proverbs 31, verse 15. Look there. Just one page over. She is not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. Pardon me, verse 15. She riseth also while it is yet night and giveth meat to her household and a portion to her maidens. Notice, the woman is apportioning out food that each one should have each day. She rises while it's still night. And she's giving out the meat to her household. Each one has their portion assigned by the economy or the law of the house. That's what economy means, by the way. Ekos or oikos is the house. Namos is the law. And literally, when it says, give me the food convenient for me in chapter 30, verse 8, it means that which is appointed to me by statute. 
Give me my economic portion. You are the householder, God. I am your slave. As the woman in Proverbs 31, please dish out to me the apportioned amount, that which I need for my sustenance each day. Apportion to me my daily bread, lest I suffer hunger or be elated with fullness, lifted up, made thick as Jeshurun was. I note then this doctrine that God's word requires us to pray for sufficient food. God's word requires us to pray for sufficient food, for enough to sustain life, but not more. In explanation of this, I note that God is the best householder. He has appointed his divine economy. He has shown us what is necessary, our daily bread. And it is the duty of his slaves, of his household servants, the privilege of his sons to make requests to him to provide us with such a competent, suitable, lawful portion appointed by the economy, by the law of his house. Please, Lord, provide me my daily bread. Let us, in exhortation, request our daily bread. Let us trust in his word. When we partake of good things in this life, the apostle tells us that these things are sanctified by the word of God and by prayer. And do you know that Satan's minions, namely the Antichrist, he says you shouldn't have certain kinds of meats. Do you know why he says that? Because God said you should give thanks for these. And he said in his word, these things are holy, they're set apart, you may use them with prayer and thanksgiving. And the Antichrist says, no, give me that. You can't have that. You can't have those good things that God sanctified by his word. Why? Because he added to his word. And God will rebuke him. He will be found a liar. God says, ask of me your daily bread. Eat the meats that are set before you. Be thankful to God and remember, I have sanctified these foods that you might eat them. Pray that God sanctifies and blesses your bread. He is our shield. And if we trust in him, he will protect us and he will provide for us. Let us steer clear of false idols and false doctrine, vanity and lies. Let us lay hold upon God's promises to us, praying not merely to avoid false worship and false doctrine, but also that God, as the best householder, would issue to us our daily portion. Question 104 of our shorter catechism. What do we pray for in the fourth petition? In the fourth petition, which is, give us this day our daily bread, we pray, that of God's free gift, we may receive a competent portion of the good things of this life and enjoy his blessing with them. Let's pray. 